You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today in studio, I have with me a very special guest, Dr. Esra, and she is going to share with us her wealth of experience in opening an addiction treatment center in Gaziantep, Turkey. Um, I also have with me today David Donaldson, who's the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center. Hi, David. Hi, Susan. Hi, Ezra. Hi, Susan. So uh, before we get into our topic for today, would you please tell us a little bit about your fitness program? Uh, Dr. Ezra is a fitness um, entrepreneur in New York City on the Upper East Side, and she has a very interesting program that she has brought to the United States. It's unique. There's not another one like it. And I'd like her to share a little bit about that um, before we get into the real reason we've asked her to come. But this story is very interesting. So can you please share? Sure. Thank you, Susan. Hi, David. Hi. Um, so, um, Susan, you know me for last 10 years, over 10 years. Yes. I get into projects that are really a passion of mine. Therefore, this is almost, I explained, my third venture in life. And... Um, uh, what we do is electromuscle stimulation. Uh, short version is EMS, not ambulances, but electromuscle <laughs> stimulation. Big it's difference. Big difference. Uh, it took me a while to explain it to people in New York. So this this uh, fitness modality has been in Europe very successful for last 13 years. It's basically a whole body EMS, and I can describe what it does is... Um, most people did uh, physical therapy, and they use patches, and these patches through uh, electricity, very low voltage electricity, contract the muscle to heal. Mm-hmm. So what we do is imagine you we have 19 electrodes placed in your uh, on top of your larger muscle groups, and it contracts like your arms and your legs, your arms, your abdominal, your quadriceps, hamstrings, glutes, all big muscle, uh, uh, major muscle groups, and it contracts at the same time. Uh, and in half hour, it gives around thirty to thirty-five thousand contraction. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and so it's a very short and an efficient workout uh, for most people. And it's low impact and it's an incredibly um, beneficial. And, of course, before people were using like more uh, commercial uh, aspect, uh, athletes are still using and were. Uh, people from NASA astronauts are using when they go mm-hmm. up in the space um, with their muscle atrophy. So they're using it to strengthen their muscles and so on and so forth. And I wish that you could see us, although you can if you're checking us out on Facebook Live, um, because Ezra is in very good, um, very good shape, excellent shape. And she's not only a proponent, but she actually uh, practices what she preaches always. So um, if folks want to learn more about um, your fitness studio in New York City, uh, they would go to www.shocktherapy.com. 
shocktherapyfitness.com. That's shocktherapyfitness.com. Not to be confused with shock therapy that we might use in a behavioral health sense. This is literally letting your muscles have a maximum workout in a minimum amount of time. It is not painful, but it does deliver tremendous results. And, um, Check her website out. She's got videos and lots of um, information. So that's shocktherapyfitness.com. So yes, you've had, you've reinvented yourself several times. Uh, you were a, a restaurateur in Istanbul Correct. and also in New York. Yes. Um, but how you and I know each other is through the treatment program that you started in Gaziantep, Turkey. And for those of you who don't know where that is, um, that is about 30 miles from the Syrian border. The show, um, Midnight Express, was um, features a prison that is also in that town. So there are lots of ways in which people might be able to relate to this. But this particular project is certainly one that I know is near and dear to you. And the impact that you have had on the lives of young boys who have lived on the streets, addicted to drugs and behaviors, um, is inspiring. So if you don't mind telling us a little bit about how that project came to be. Sure. Um, I think then I should start a little bit with my own story. Okay. Because that connects to the project in Gaziantep. Um, I'm in recovery, and uh, in May I had 13 years in recovery. 13 uh, years. Sober. And um, I couldn't find the proper uh, addiction treatment uh, help in Turkey. I was lucky enough that I could come to United States uh, to get the real deal, I would say, 12-step oriented treatment center, and um, then I decided to stay in the United mm-hmm. States uh, because I was very close to all new um, research studies, and I knew that I could bring a lot of information and help to my country. Um, I was almost three years, uh, three years in in United States, and back to school, studying to become a psychologist. And my uncle approached me, and he says that you know they donated a building to the city called Gaziantep, and he didn't want to just give a building four walls, but it would be nice to bring a program inside. It was very exciting to me to uh, to hear that. And um, I, I started connecting with people, and we, uh, I'm sure many people heard about his name here in your program, Dr. David Powell. He was my first contact, and I approached to Dr. Powell saying, hey, not hey, of course, <laughs> Dr. Powell. Uh, it would have worked with him. <laughs> it would, but I never called him anything but Dr. Powell. Absolutely. Me uh, either. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I said, there's a project, and he's very, uh, he had a lot of experience of building programs outside of United States, in China, mm-hmm. uh, in uh, b- b- various countries in Europe, and I'm sure many more places. Um, I said, I have a project. 
He thought it was going to be a short project. It turned out to be a very long eight years project. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, we started like that. Uh, we um, So first he came, we flew to Antep, and um, he said, we have to stop the admission. I said, okay, how am I going to convince people around me, the mayor, the people who are funding the project? He says, like, we, you, you guys cannot have a system like this here. And look, look at the statis- statistics. You, you enrolled, like, around 50 people. And within the two or three months, there were only five left. Therefore, you have to stop the program. We're going to build a new curriculum, a new program mm-hmm. uh, to make the place uh, efficiently working. Well, that sounded great, but then he, we started facing different issues, and um, that was the real reason, actually, probably I couldn't have any treatment in treatment in, U- in Turkey and had to come here because... And Susan, you know the, the what we faced because Absolutely. you were one of the uh, one of the uh, guest academics that who came to uh, be a part of the of the uh, of the people who helped us to build the program. So basically, in Turkey, uh, number one, twelve-step oriented treatment modalities are non-existing. We have AA, a very little NA, but um, no program that is promoting recovery and helping people through the lens of 12-step. Number two, there is no addiction counsel. Um, there are no uh, trainings at schools that are training counselors to treat addiction. So that's number two. Number three, disease of addiction is almost rejected as an idea. It was more looked from a trauma angle. Mm-hmm. Also, then we learned that um, because we're the bridge between East and West as a country, it was more approached instead of treatment, more the, um, what do you call that, the, from um, through police, um, through the through enforcement, through law enforcement, through the legal system, exactly punishment. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. one of the reasons I made the uh, reference to that uh, uh, movie uh-huh, and uh-huh. the and the prison system, which you know was really the way most people ended up. And it still kind of is, unfortunately, because um, anyway, so so these were a couple of reasons, um, and psychiatry and counseling is also not uh, anything similar like United States that I really I really admire the way that the system works here. It's not even in Europe like what they mm-hmm. do here, um, because we are communities and we have big families and uh, we have a lot of people that we can go and ask for help, find people that, you know, an aunt or a grandmother or someone in the family who can be a support. We have a lot of support system, therefore talk therapy is not developed at all. And um, Susan and Dr. Powell and any other doctor who worked with us had the chance to discuss with so many so many psychiatrists that we worked with and we met at the same time, they were all saying they do not come back, the clients. They only go for prescriptions. And then after, you know, there are no any 
any treatment that is done by trying to figure out what really is happening. Mm -hmm. So basically, we needed a much longer time to build the program uh, to just train these counselors, um, educate the psychiatrist, uh, make the community understand that this is a program, it works. We built a family program at the same time because maybe I should address a little bit who we were. Yes, the the population, I think, is um, very interesting. And, and the reasons that you chose this particular group, the neediest of the needy, I mean, truly. Yes, um, it wasn't exactly me, but the need at that town is the mayor was a new mayor and he wanted to find a solution to these street kids uh, who were choosing parks and ruins of the city as a uh, as their living living uh, place. Uh, and he wanted to find a solution to them, which actually there were many attempts, not in Antep, even in Istanbul, because they never built a program. Um, they found, they, f- they, they raised money to create these beautiful homes and places that they would put these kids, and um, they wouldn't stay. So like the bird in a golden cage. Wouldn't stay. Yeah. We're going to interrupt this story right now, but we encourage you to please stay tuned while we take this break. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business practices, and fascinating business professionals to get an insider view of how America works. The Business Hour, from 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to America's Web Radio. Today in studio, I have a very dear friend and special guest, our Dr. Esra from New York City and Istanbul, Turkey. Um, also, David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. We were right in the middle of the story of the treatment center that uh, your family founded and that you developed and ran in uh, Gazi Antep. Turkey, and we were just talking about um, uh, the issues related to the kids coming in, that previous attempts to try and deal with the homeless children. And when we're saying children, we're really meaning children, 13, 14, 15-year-old kids, and that previous um, attempts to try and help them, the kids wouldn't stay. So there were a lot of things that you had to introduce to bring the kids in and help them have a reason to stay. Yeah, um, yeah, I was at that uh, that place. So um, I mean, I don't want to take much of a credit because I because you are humble, but you should. No, but I mean, <laughs> I think best thing I do in life is I. I build systems, but I don't. I don't personally build systems. I'm able to pull together the best team possible and be the coordinator. Um, But again, you know, Dr. Powell, I would say, and I'm (laughs) sure he's hearing us somewhere in the sky. Uh, By the way, just to interrupt you, uh, right before he died. Mm He died on Friday. He did a show for us on Tuesday. And it was the most beautiful spiritual show I have ever had. And I don't know if he knew, um, but it was a wonderful show. So he's been a guest of our our show and um, certainly a dear mentor for me and I know for you too. And we're both going to cry in a minute if we don't stop. So. Okay. Thanks, David. <laughs> to pull us back together. So um, we, we I w- let me. S- say we, we realized that um, there were a lot of things we needed to include in the treatment. Number one, uh, it had to be a long-term residential, uh, and we first decided that it's going to be a six-month residential with three different modules inside. So we did a one month, and the first month would be considered the acute care and that would be the time these uh, children or adolescents that needs to really detox detox from the substances that they were using. Um, well, not a typical uh, typical detox that you would be in a hospital, but more like a one-month treatment centers that would be cool here in the United States. Um, let's not forget that these kids were living on the streets, some of them for maybe like 10, 12 years. So they have, they had a lot of issues. Uh, they had physical issues. They had definitely huge mental issues. And they were using substances that, what did you call opportunist? Like a... Their, their, their dopamine releaser of opportunity. Okay, thank you. <laughs> One uh, of the phrases that Dr. Blink often says is that you... You learn to love the drug you're with, 
mm-hmm. instead of particularly alcohol or opiates. If you only have something available, that's what you're sure. Going to love. And actually, even worse in these cases because it will be um, not even drugs that we hear a lot, but it would be glue. It would be thinner. It would be anything and everything. Gasoline. Gasoline. So it will really destroy their brain cells. So it was a tough, it was a tough clientele, a lot of anger, um, half of it illiterate. So, I mean, it was a tough crowd to deal with, not only deal with their attitudes and behaviors, but like, how are you going to educate them and train them if they don't know how to read and write? Right. I mean, it's just like, it was a tough one. But anyway, so the first month would be a, a, a more very, very focused to their, their clearing up their head, let's say. Their physical and medical yes, needs. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, then we would have the second uh, part of the stay. It would be um, two months so that they will complete into the three months and the last part, and I'm going to come to that, to try to make them um, go back to their community and be a, have a safe place also back to come back to the center. So basically, we needed to create a daily group therapy sessions, but yet also at a school inside of the center because we wanted them to find a way to like read and write again and then uh, over the years our medical director were able to integrate back them to the local uh, local schools mm-hmm. uh, we all added a depending on where they are at their stay uh, some sort of a recreational um, recreational uh, uh, hobbies whether it's like knitting and Susan remembers that whole, like, sweater part. Right. Can you say about it? So one of the things that I, uh, when I first uh, went to the center, I admired some sweaters that the young men and the children were wearing. And they um, had N.A., which is the symbol for Narcotics Anonymous, uh, woven into the sweaters. I asked them about that, and I thought, well, Ezra and her family have probably found a supplier and have got these really cool N.A. sweaters. No, in fact, the boys very proudly took me to the looms where they were learning to actually um, knit and weave and manufacture sweaters. And then they would make them and present them to the new boy when he came because, first of all, often – you had to provide them with clothes and basic mm-hmm. toiletries, toothbrushes, hair combs. They didn't even have these things. But they would all be so proud of their sweaters, not only that they um, had them and what N.A., Narcotics Anonymous, meant to them, but also that they had learned how to make them themselves. So that was that was very touching. The other thing that was really inspiring to me was they learned to make jewelry and mosaics. So the jewelry manufacturing that they learned to do, and they had, these are young boys. Now, you, these are young boys who have been living on the streets. They weren't um, kids who were used to looking at fashion magazines, but they had pictures of fashion magazines torn out 
all over the room. They were making jewelry. They had all kinds of beads and pearls and not real ones, of course, but beautiful um, items to make into jewelry. One of the things that brought me a lot of pleasure was um, I would ask each boy to pick out a couple of items. We would write uh, with a little tag, we would write their name and their age on it. I brought it back to my sons um, uh, who who used to live in uh, Atlanta. He has a, a, an art gallery and a hair salon. And we would um, display them there and put them up for sale. And then the money that they would receive for this, we would send back to the center for the boys for their funds so that they would have some money when they moved out into the community. Um, and really, they were so well-received, beautiful pieces. And the women that purchased them were so touched because here's a real boy's name and his age um, and this jewelry that he had created and they were lovely pieces but you know Susan you guys when you were designing this program these were all for their motor sensory yes absolutely so everything seems like from outside of course oh so cute and so nice but the program for six months it was designed every single day of it for a specific purpose because then then these skills would be like they would then go to plumbing school. So, right. they, mm-hmm. it, you know, it was just like then these, with these plumbing skills, they will find a job. So in, in, it sounds very easy maybe for people who listen to this radio show, but when you think of an area that, like, practically no one... No, pra- okay. practi- practically no one knows about none of these things and why it's done, it's a big fight to put on. I mean, my job mostly was to convince the mayor, when you say it's the family, but it was a public-private uh, uh, joint venture. So the mayor was funding a big part of it as well. The family was funding only the the, the software, I would say, the, the program that we were designing, but it was for a pl- for an area in Turkey that is not really the, it's 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 not it's the sixth largest city but cannot be compared uh, the sixth largest city on in the United States um, the yearly cost of the center was a million and a half dollar so in order the mayor to believe and trust so much to invest so much money because basically there was no income. It, it's all outgoing money. Right. Um, so it was my job was kind of <laughs> have a fight with like convincing the mayor, convincing my uncle, convincing Dr. Powell. I mean, <laughs> convincing everyone that or or threatening the doctors over there. Hey, this is not the way to do things to put this uh, perfect program Um so anyway, we needed to have the school. We needed uh, then after some sort of a job job uh, training so that they can find a job out there. Let's let's think for a second that you know, as difficult as it was to deal with these kids, actually it's easier than here. Because when you think over here in the United States and anywhere else, probably in developed countries, when you talk about, like, 
street kids. It's more of a gang mentality, and they find easier to live and more money and more fame and more attraction. When you go to Turkey, it's hopeless. Yes. I mean, they have nothing. The minute they have the hope, then they grasp on everything that you give. But then the problem starts on, on, and we will talk about that part, then how are you going to send them back to their families? Right. Because they're going to go right back into the same stuff and same environment and same abuse and same poverty. So, um, yeah, that was a trip. That is a trip. And uh, I thank you all for listening. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. This is America's Web Radio, and I'm Dr. Susan Blank. We are hearing the story of the um, adolescent um, treatment center in Gaziantep, Turkey, that was created by Dr. Ezra, her family, and the local community, led by the mayor. Uh, lots of work went into it. Uh, Dr. David Powell oversaw a group of psychiatrists, um, and addiction treatment specialists, including uh, Dr. Ezra, who came and educated staff, participated in the program development. Um, part of the work that I did was working with trauma, uh, helping um, some of the skills um, that are needed to help people learn to ground themselves. 
working on integrating that kind of program into the curriculum, both for the uh, young boys, but also for the staff to understand how to help them, uh, because trauma was a big part of their life. And as you said, these aren't gangs that are selling drugs and uh, stealing cars and making money like they do in the U.S. These are kids that are li- literally living in under bridges and in buildings that had been torn down or were, you know, decaying and they were using whatever drugs that they could find, mostly inhalants and didn't have adequate food, no health care, none of the comforts at all of home and they certainly were in a very desperate place. So the giving of hope was one of the ways that these young men really grew to love the center and began to really embrace the difficult things that they were being asked to do. Exactly. So um, basically how the program grew, grew. It's, it never stayed how we started. Right. So, um, uh, you know, so basically we had a street team that will go out at nights and will look into ruins under bridges in the parks and then they will try to convince these uh, street living um, young uh, young uh, adolescents to come to the treatment so it wasn't by force it wasn't by police force it was a willing attempt so that's one part of our team over there then we would have another team who would go and find their families and some of them has not been present for for so many years. Some still were around, and it's a small community, and they would be known. But then these families had to be convinced to come to the center and um, be willing to be involved in the programs. Otherwise, we wouldn't, I mean, we would let these kids in, but we knew that it would be much more... uh, uh, helpful if the families are involved. So that's these are two out um, um, outside teams that we had, and then also we realized that okay now six months they're here they're in a protected area. Mm-hmm. What are we gonna do when they're gonna leave? So let's not forget that some of them were twelve years old. Right. So, like, what do you do with a kid who is 12 years old? Now they're 12 and a half, and they're going to go back to the same unfortunate lifestyles that they have. So we decided we need a halfway house. And how long that halfway house is going to be so that these people are going to be, these kids are going to be safe? Um, So basically, we try to create a system that in Turkey, military uh, military service is mandatory and starts at the age of 18. So our goal is to keep these uh, these individuals safe and sober until the time that they go to the military service. It will be the service is 18 months. Then, uh, Then they will be considered as adults. Young young adults, and then they will be like ready to get married or get a job or however they can uh, they can uh, continue to their healthy lives. So um, so we then we built a halfway house, uh, also an outpatient program, 
and um, and some sort of like job sk- uh, job uh, skill training so that they can go and find a job. We found jobs to them. Um, yeah, so it's not like it's not like a center. It's almost like a whole whole system that is managing every aspects of these street street kids back then we will call them but then david i'm going to come back to what you were mentioning about the community so the community seeing that the system is working slowly slowly they started approaching us we heard from the policeman who's the friend of the father that there is a center and our child were suspicious that he is using something so now families are coming to us to bring their children in to have the treatment. So the stigma on, oh, it's a street kid place, our kids are going to be not with safe people, changed into the place that it's a center that is treating addiction. And they started approaching us from other cities. I had to also convince the mayor because, you know, when, when the, the place is funded by that city, Mostly they don't want people from other cities because their funding would go uh, to, you know, other region, let's say. But I was just like, you cannot not accept them because it's just, it's the only place working practically in Turkey. Like, literally, it's the only place working. And Susan, you know know our adventures. Um, (laughs) Yes, I do. I was thinking of, um, there's a number of treatment centers here in the States that opened up in rural areas and small areas and the people would go there and then when they finished they would have jobs in that area or live in a house halfway house in that area and you've seen kind of recovery minded communities grow around those um Karen Pennsylvania around mm-hmm. the around Mar mm-hmm. area there's a lot of that and that's in a you know a very affluent lots of options lots of Bridges of people, yeah, bridges of hope. Another place where that whole people are there for a long time and they learn how to live, and then they just build a community around it. And so this is happening um, in Turkey for the. I'm assuming it's all boys. It's at all the boys. place. Yeah, and there, there's very few, very little girls out there. It's like the 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 fortune of a. A more conservative culture that these girls are not running away from homes and start living on the streets. So they're much lesser, even amongst adults. Um, you know, there's, you don't find a lot of addicts or alcoholics. I mean, you might find uh, eating disorders, mm-hmm. like obesity, but mm-hmm. not alcohol use. It's not like in modern cities, yes, of course, women goes to the bars. I don't want to be suddenly like, oh, we're such a conservative um, community. But it wouldn't be a, a, a social, uh, social uh, meetup point. Hey, let's go to a bar and have a drink. It would be, hey, let's have a tea party more so. So you wouldn't find much of a... Uh, addiction or alcoholism in women uh, gender okay. in the more rural yes but in general in overall but it's also been really interesting or, uh, for me <laughs> listening to you as you've talked about the progression um, the book you need to write about the development of trust um, initially getting the boys to trust you to come in and then getting their families to trust you to come in and then the entire community is beginning to trust that this is an organization that's really helping change mm-hmm. I mean change the world but mm-hmm. specific, specifically changing that part of town 
it's it's part of the city, actually, not even a town. But you know, David, it's not actually it's not that that like you described Karen and you know Reading area probably, but it's not like you know these these kids and these families and the center is in the same city. So there's a lot of stigma that has to be fought against. It's like they're going literally back to saying that, hey, we're now healthy or we're behaving moderately better, but nobody believes it mm-hmm. at you. And you're the first one to be um, to be judged and and uh, found faulty. And we, we actually, we went to, with Dr. Powell so many times to this halfway house that we built, and there would be a fight. And you would, not in this, in the, in the halfway house, you would hear such and such boys no longer working at this, uh, at this bakery. As you ask, what happened? And you will hear, well, you know, some whatever happened, something happened, and I was the one to be blamed, and I tried to defend my right, but you know it's not believed, or the boss is treating him badly. Now we, yeah, mm-hmm. we now we taught them how to pro, how to stand up, protect their right, set boundaries, but it's not working for these. Right, uh, and these people are still like thirteen to eighteen, basically. So there's a. Um, you know, but, you know, we have, like, wonderful stories. Like, one of the stories that I would like to say, um, Mahmoud. Yes. Yeah. So Mahmoud was a, was a, actually, he was older than normally we would accept. Uh, mayor's wife really asked. Um, he was 19 when he came into the treatment. He was living on the streets since 12. Didn't see his parents since 12. He didn't know, like literally didn't know how to write or read. He had an anger Mm -hmm. issue. So he had many psychiatric and physical issues. And um, it was the second month that we were there, I guess. For the very first time, and this is how he explained, I was passing through the bathroom, the door was open, and I saw him caressing his cheek. And I'm like, when he cut out, I said, Mahmoud, what happened? He says, like, well, Miss Estra, I used to uh, spit uh, to the mirror to my face because I would hate myself and I would hate how I'm behaving. Now I'm, like, loving myself because this was a place that they finally had respect. Mm-hmm. And they were treated like any other people in this town and um, that was the very first place in their life that they were treated like that Um, I know stories that when I was going and hugging them they would be surprised and they would be like wow most people definitely all women seeing us on the street would change the sidewalk Mm -hmm. and you're coming and you're hugging us Mm -hmm. I think that was everything was helpful but the love and the care they saw right. to themselves and everyone around them were respecting them was the most healing mm-hmm. part in their life. It was beautiful. I, um, as we were talking about the show last night, I was very much um, reminded of th- they were so grateful 
and they were learning to respect themselves. And I, I have never been in a place, certainly not a treatment center, <laughs> where every morning they would be in their clean white shirts and their nice uh, clean slacks. And they would meet me at the door holding roses that they had picked from the garden that they had grown to give me a gift to welcome me each morning when I would come to the center. I'm going to cry, so we're going to take a break right now. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. Thank you for listening. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and this is America's Web Radio. We're here in studio with Dr. Ezra, and she's telling us her very fascinating tale, her story of... Uh, triumph and success with uh, taking these young children who were very helpless and hopeless and um, bringing them to, uh, seeing them grow into young adults that are capable, able to hold jobs, reunited sometimes with their families, sometimes not, but uh, having self-respect and love. I love that story of the young man caressing his own cheek and feeling love and respect for himself for the first time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's um, that's really part of the gift that, that you gave them. Yes, um, and uh, yeah, I was just saying that story, but not only that, Susan, I mean, that is a very important example and should give hope to every family out there. Um, I believe that if there's the gift of God, for sure, and a good treatment, 
and supportive families that if Mahmoud in Antep, uh, illiterate, 19 years old, a um, lot of psychiatric issue cannot be no longer reversible because of all these years of super toxic drugs. Um, a dying mother that he just met could read, write, um, got a job, get engaged and get married, save money and get married, then I think that, you know, 95% of uh, addicts are, if they, they, if there's a will, there's a way, they say, uh, and if the, the, the addict doesn't follow up, I believe that, and it was in my case, my mother never gave up and my family never gave up. I tried basically, you know, four rehabs, but they didn't give up. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were insisting and uh, persuasive of me keep getting a treatment, and they didn't give up on me. They didn't not that they didn't give up on me. That oh, I don't give up on you. I you're we don't want you to die. They had a they had bigger hopes and they had bigger goals, and they never let me even think about myself. That oh, that's the that's it. I'm not going to be successful, etc. So with in the case of Mahmoud, I was, you know, I was a restauranter. I was a, actually a college dropout. Uh, I started doing drugs in America. It was a full circle. I quit drugs in America. And I was able to go back to school after the age of 34. Mm -hmm. I mean, did a master's and a PhD, built a treatment system. That's, that's a good treatment, and that's a loving family. Definitely AA, good doctors, but you know when you have it all, the, the all the pieces of the mosaic is together. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that it's very possible to uh, stay sober, get sober. I want to add a very something very important. Um, so I was very lucky to be able to present the center and the modality that we designed at United Nations in Vienna. And while I was there with, actually it was interesting because I still see in Europe, they follow a harm reduction model or a model that they want to create villages for addicts and they want them to live there. Right, and not come out. Not come out. <laughs> and I probably was coming from Turkey on these panels and I was fighting tooth and nail. I said, like, that's, that's crazy. If we're able to manage these kids somewhere in Turkey, like <laughs> southeast of Turkey, not even in Istanbul, it's, it's, it's not acceptable in Italy, in Germany, in, in Spain, wherever it is. In Britain, there were, there were people around there that these, these doctors telling all these, like, oh, it's not working, and oh, whatever. So anyway... So one, I don't accept that. Like um, we were talking yesterday, Susan, <laughs> in addict mind, the best thing is I don't take no as an answer. Correct. <laughs> so I'll Ever. make it happen. <laughs> but, you know, um, but what I would like to say, I learned something when I was in these panels from a criminal criminology aspect. Unfortunately, we're going through the same thing again. Um, in these war times, and apparently back in the day in Kosovo and now in Syria, um, they manufacture, so these uh, drug 
manufacturers find these war areas and manufacture synthetic drugs in the basements. When the war ends, they find another place. So now from Kosovo, it moved to Syria. And when these refugees come to Turkey, that's their only currency that they can carry with mm-hmm. them. So now it's be another wave of problems started, especially again in Antep, because that's the first mm-hmm. point of access. And that's the only way they can have a living. Not that they're drug dealers, these refugees. And they don't mean to be. No, not at all. That's the only thing they can take out of the country. So, you know, I, I and then at the, at the uh, UNGAS uh, in New York, at the United Nations, a Sweden, Swed- the, the Queen of Sweden, and Nora Volkov, mm-hmm. actually, they were all discussing that it's time for prevention. Right. It's no longer addiction treatment. It has to start with the prevention because there's no way to stop mm-hmm. this epidemic if the most resources is put into the prevention. And I would love to hear your thoughts about it. I totally agree. Um, I've made reference to this book many times on this show, but Narconomics, How to Run a Mexican Drug Cartel, um, written by an economist who goes through, after having embedded with the Mexican drug cartels, um, our continued failed drug policy in the United States, that we continue to spend untold amount of money and resources on trying to stop the supply, get the drug dealers, catch people, put them in jail, criminalize, and they should be. There's consequences for choices, absolutely. But as long as we focus on the supply and not on the demand side, which is the people who have the disease of addiction, who need treatment, who are stuck in a, a cycle that they can't get out of, they don't know how to get out of, they're hopeless. There is hopeless sitting in New York City or in Atlanta as they are sitting in the slums of Gaziantep. They are hopeless, and if we don't provide them the right kind of treatment and support and respect, then we are just going to make the drug dealers and the drug cartels very wealthy, and we are not ever going to solve this problem. So we have to provide treatment, and earlier than that, in elementary school, we have to begin real not the DARE program, not some of the other failed prevention programs, but evidence-based um, programs that help kids learn how to have self-respect, how to take care of themselves, how to ask for help, how to set boundaries, so that they will be less vulnerable. Prevention is where we need to be. Treatment is where we need to but be. But it's also got to be going back into the and helping families be families because one of the questions that we were thinking about earlier was why are there 12 year olds on the street and i'm assuming it's abuse or the the something was going on that the kids didn't have hope within their own home of course um yeah you know in antep it was uh, two layers um they the the poverty poverty of uh, families force these kids to do work on the streets, such as selling napkins and tissues and flowers or whatever they can on the traffic lights. Mm-hmm. The other 
reason they were running away from home because they were physical abuse less sexual more physical abuse then there were start in um, uh, encountering with older older young adults who are more like a gang and want to use these kids like then slowly slowly introducing them to the drugs so it's like a cycle like that so it starts with the 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 economic conditions of the family not specifically that you know um you know they just they never ever started using drugs or alcohol in the house and then become an addict they became an addict on the streets so the kid the older kids are kind of roping them in and kind of trapping them exactly. with addiction and then as susan says like at that stage it's hard of course to take ex- take i mean look to untap and talk to these um you know like to these families about the prevention but um you know we know very closely that the minute that the center started working and now you know kids are finding a solution to their problems whether they live on the streets or from the families mm-hmm. all these gangs moved out of the city mm-hmm. because they had no more people to sell drugs that's a really interesting point yeah and i think in particular because you have the family program where mm-hmm. families are learning mm-hmm. how to be a family exactly. and that's the perfect prevention that when there's no longer a demand and there's no longer people to engage in the behaviors there's no longer a need for drugs and the communities clean up so thank you so much. This has been a lovely show. Very much appreciate you. If you want to learn more about uh, Dr. Ezra's program up in New York, it's shocktherapyfitness.com. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, David. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week on Detailing Addiction. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.